Welcome to today's episode of the MesoTV podcast. Today's panel consists of mesothelioma patients and caregivers who discuss managing costs associated with travel to see a mesothelioma specialist or to enroll in a clinical trial. MesoTV is a video program adapted to audio only for this podcast produced by the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation, a national 501c3 nonprofit organization. The Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation provides patient support and education services, funds peer-reviewed research, and advocates for increased funding of mesothelioma research. This 2021 season of programming is made possible with the support of our generous sponsors. They are MRHFM, Bellican Fox, Bristol Myers Squibb, Novacure, Merck, The Gori Law Firm, and Early Lucarelli, Sweeney, and Meisenkofen. Well, welcome to today's panel. Um, my name is Bill Ziegler. I'm on the board of director of the um, Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation as the patient voice. Uh, myself, I'm also a 10-year long survivor of pleural mesothelioma. Um, I have undergone several treatments uh, such as chemotherapy, surgery, um, radiation, and then also immunotherapy. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be discussing today is travel. Because of the nature of the disease, uh, it carries with it some caveats. And one of those things is uh, being seen at a specialized center. Unfortunately, they're few and far between and uh, not really close to where patients are. Um, I was fortunate enough in my, uh, <clears throat> in my journey that I was able to reach out to some good resources, especially at the Mesothelioma Applied Research Foundation. It really helped me be able to point myself in the right direction. Um, I found myself uh, looking at places like New York as an option for me or uh, Boston. But what I found was it was very difficult and kind of overwhelming to know how to get there. And uh, one of the things that I thought early on is if I talk to some other patients who have done the same things, uh, I can share in those best practices and understand logistically what I needed to do to accomplish my goal. And that was to be successfully treated. Um, so we have a panel of a couple people today uh, one of which is Heather Von St. James, uh, Sheila Brittingham, and Megan Butler. Uh, and I think that uh, this is a very good group to be able to draw some very similar experiences and really talk about what we did to have a successful result or how we took that uh, obstacle and really tried to overcome <laughs> the hurdle of actually getting to the location where we needed to be treated. So what I'd like to do now is uh, just go around with introductions, please, if uh, you would. Start with Heather. Hi, my name is Heather Bond St. James, and I am a 15-year, almost 16-year mesothelioma survivor. And I was diagnosed in 2005, and I joke that it was the dark ages um, because it was such a long time ago. And um, I was presented with the possibility of local... Um, I live in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Locally, I could have been treated, um, but the advancements weren't there like were available in Boston. So I ended up traveling from Minneapolis to Boston for my treatment. 
sorry, my dogs. Um, and it ended up being very successful for me. And I ran into a lot of the things too with traveling and cost effectiveness and stuff like that in order to figure out how to get things lined up, where to stay, who to stay with, how to get there, how to afford it. Um, and at the time, I didn't know about the MISO Foundation and what all was offered. So I'm so glad to be here today and, and help with this to allow people to understand what the MISO Foundation provides and um, our experience traveling and what we can offer to people and help people. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Sheila? Hi, everyone. Um, Sheila Brittingham, my husband, Bob. Um, was diagnosed in 2011 with um, peritoneal mesothelioma. Um, we became involved with the Mesothelioma Foundation probably about six months into his illness, which we were happy to find the, uh, the foundation because they've been a wealth of information for us. Um, unfortunately, he passed away August 16th of 2020, um, but I'm still going to be very active with the foundation. Um, I'm so glad that this group has been developed because I've been gathering information the past six months on travel. Uh, Bob had his first uh, surgery at the University of Maryland, which we live in Delaware. Um, and so we're not that far from, we're about three hours from Baltimore, Maryland, where the University of Maryland is located. Uh, through the years of his illness, we've traveled um, to New Jersey, um, also to New York, to Sloan Kettering. Um, his last treatment being the proton therapy by Dr. Simone in New York City. Um, so I'm very interested with helping patients and caregivers on their journey to these cities because it's not easy. Mm -hmm. It truly is not. And if I can be some sort of comfort or help for, for everyone, I, I, I'm here. I mean, through email, phone, phones, you know, text, whatever, I'm here to help and do whatever I possibly can to make the journey easier. That's wonderful to hear. It's wonderful. Megan? Hi, so my name is Megan. I'm new to the foundation. I'm doing development coordination for the MISO Foundation. Um, so my main roles are, you know, donor management. I do uh, some fundraising for the foundation as well as um, database management, and I'm also in charge of the grants. So I do see all the uh, travel grants that do come in, and I um, I'm here to help every, anybody and everybody who does have um, requests for travel and everything like that. When you do call the foundation, it is me who picks up the phone. So um, whenever you call, um, you know, you'll get me and I'm uh, here to help. Just like Sheila said, I'm also here to help with anything, um, any questions that anybody has at any time. I'm glad that you said that. Uh, the foundation has a wonderful resource. Uh, tool to it, and that is the travel grant program, and that's been going on for a few years now, where patients can reach out to the foundation, apply for a travel grant, and be able to get funding to take care of your travel needs, and that's one of the things that I think is very beneficial and helpful to patient treatment. 
Um, one of the things that I've been a proponent of over the years is really managing your resources to be effective at, 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 um, at utilizing uh, what you need to do to be able to get to where you need to go. Uh, one of the things that I think about often is Angel Flight and the services that I've used. Uh, Angel Flight for me was uh, a resource that was handed to me by another patient. And upon calling them, uh, their service works very, uh, very interestingly where they have corporate jets that are available to patients. And if you so happen to be traveling at the same time that there may be space available, uh, you can request a flight from A to B. And uh, myself living in Detroit, it was always difficult for me to, to manage that. So when I reached out to them, because I had been denied so often, I asked them, how did other patients travel to where they needed to go? How did they utilize the service effectively? And asking the right questions to service providers can be very helpful in knowing what's available to you. And what I found is that there are some companies that travel uh, regularly on shuttles and have a corporate jet that, that travels between one location and another one consistently. And if you're treated on the East Coast, which was one of the treatment options that was available to me, I found that it was very easy to travel up and down the Eastern Corridor. Um, one of the uh, representative at, at Angel Flight had told me that the person who went to New York for treatment traveled into Philadelphia. And I really didn't understand that at the time because logistically speaking, I thought, well, Philly really isn't that close to New York. But what they, were, what they did was they got on the Bolt bus. It was only a couple bucks from Philly to New York. And it was a two hour uh, ride. So I would fly into Philly and then hitch a ride on the Bolt bus. And the Bolt bus was an inexpensive way for me to get to New York. So it does require sometimes a little bit extra effort by a patient to be able to seek out the information that you need to get uh, from one location to another. And I think about that as being resource management. So two resources that I would highly suggest is one, the foundation that can be your primary resource. Two, uh, is Angel Flight that's a good place to go to talk to somebody that can help travel or help you arrange travel plans by, by flight. Um, and then three is other patients. I am a big proponent also of the monthly patient call. You can learn so much from other people just by sharing those best practices. What did you do for your successful treatment? How did you get there? Who did you talk to? And, and so on and so on. Um, would one of you like to tell me, tell us what kind of uh, resources you utilize to uh, have a positive outcome? I'll go next. Sure. Um, so I ended up being referred to a surgeon in Boston at the time. It was Dr. David Sugarbaker. Um, and flying from Minneapolis to Boston was the only option for me. Um, I looked into Angel Place and I didn't have any luck with that. Um, so Luckily, I had family that pitched in and bought us plane tickets the first time. Um, I immediately signed up for frequent flyer miles with that airline because I knew I was going to be flying a lot. So when you know you're going to be embarking on travel, sign up for every single program 
like through airlines, through hotels, through even like shuttle services, Uber, Lyft. Back when I was traveling, Uber and Lyft were not a thing, neither was Airbnb. So I had the option of hotels, regular airline flights, driving, which was not an option um, too far. And, um, you know, that was basically had. In Boston, I was lucky that they did have a house um, that I could stay at called, I can't remember the name of it, um, but it was like a group home for cancer patients. Um, it was a nonprofit at the time. And since then, the, the mesothelioma um, program in Boston has bought and has a house in Boston across the street, um, the Miso House, the Thornton House, and it's available for Miso patients and I believe one family member to stay at. So that's a fantastic resource. So wherever it is you're going, sign up for frequent flyer miles, sign up for benefits or um, loyalty programs through hotels. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up staying at the Holiday Inn a lot. And so I ended up getting free nights and free food and free breakfast, um, stuff like that through um, holiday and points. Marriott is another really good one if you have to stay in a hotel. So, you know, another thing that might be of value is sign up for credit cards, which I know a lot of people don't like using them, but you have to book an airline ticket on a credit card and hotel. So make sure you get a credit card with either miles or points or cash back and take advantage of those programs. Um, I was able to get a lot of free flights um, through Delta with my with my um, uh, American Express card that I had and build up frequent flyer miles quickly and medallion status quickly uh, because of the frequent flights back and forth to uh, Boston. So in 10 years into my treatment, my surgeon moved to Houston. So then I started flying down to Houston and it was the same thing there. Utilize the social workers. Um, they usually have a list of hotels and a list of places that have a medical rate. Always ask for the medical rate, the, the Sloan Kettering rate or the Brigham's rate or mm -hmm. the Baylor rate, wherever it is you're going. Um, most places will have a medical rate, especially in the bigger centers um, where you're going for treatment. So those are the hints that I used that were able to um, better afford things for me. Um, you know, and I even had people donate their frequent fly miles to us um, in the beginning so we could afford flights. So um, there's all sorts of that sort of stuff that people don't think about, but is available and, and is easily utilized. So right. that's also, what I did. I'm also thinking about things such as American Cancer Society's Hope Lodge. Uh, I know that when I was going to Sloan Kettering, there was a Hope Lodge down the street and it was a facility that was geared towards patients so they could recover. And if they were undergoing treatment, that's where they would stay during that process. Um, that's, you will have to apply for those type of programs, but you know, it's very good that you apply to as many as that you can. And another great point that you bring up is social workers. Social workers have a lot of of resources that you just wouldn't normally come across. And I tell you, don't get discouraged in talking to a social worker and they don't have everything that you need. You know, I, I affectionately say out of every 10 social workers, there's that one that's just waiting for you to ask any question possible and they have everything at their fingertips and they're waiting to hand it over so you can have a positive outcome and a positive experience with them. So very good points, excellent. 
Yeah, uh, and sure. if there isn't a social worker, there's a cancer navigator a lot of times at your bigger centers as well. Yeah. So um, ask about those resources. And a lot of people who are new going into this don't realize that all those things are available. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Sheila, what's been your experience? You, I can tell you after doing um, a lot of research on this, most all the centers of excellence have visitors guides, uh, which you can um, go into their website and pull up their visitors guides. They have information on um, stays on campus, on the hospital campuses. They have hotels that they partner up with. There's restaurants, there's shopping. Uh, there's ways to get from here to there. So um, going to the website of the Centers of Excellence is a good start with the visitor's guides that you'll find on each and every one of them. Um, Bob and my experience was, um, being that we live on the East Coast, we were in proximity to New York five-hour drive. So when we went to New York for his treatments, uh, Hope Lodge was one of the first places that we called, which you just mentioned. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of patients out there with cancer. And a lot of times the Hope Lodge was completely booked. Um, so we, what we ended up doing was either staying at a hotel or um, finding a, a partnered hotel with, with, the, uh, with the Center of Excellence, Memorial Sloan Kettering or the Proton Center in um, Harlem. But anyway, uh, what I wanted to say was the American Cancer Society also has, if you call them, they're very good about this, they have transportation to and from your treatment center. So if you're staying, like we were staying in uh, Lower Manhattan and our treatment center was up in Harlem, they picked us up at our, our um, uh, bed and breakfast and they drove us to the treatment center. Bob had his treatment. We called them and we were ready to come back. This is something you do have to set up with them ahead of time, but they're very good about um, getting you transportation. And they will, there's 20, 20 uh, times traveling that they will uh, that they will pay for. So that's also a good resource to go to is the American Cancer Society, along with the Hope Lodge, the uh, transportation to the treatment which in our case was just phenomenal because any of you that have been to New York know what the nightmare is of, as far as traveling in the city. So it was great for Bob and I. Um, but I would say the first resource is to go to the Center of Excellence, take a look at that visitor's um, uh, pamphlet that they have, the visitor's information. You can really gather a lot of information um, from that. As a matter of fact, I have several of the visitors uh, books from different centers around the country. Um, you know, if anyone be, would be interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. Good resources. You know, yeah. you both bring up a good point about other cancer networks. Um, I myself am in the Detroit metropolitan area and there's a cancer community called Gilda's Club that's near me as well as many other cancer networks. Um, one of the things that I suggest for additional resources is possibly joining that. Um, I know that I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of other people who had cancer like myself, and uh, they became resources themselves. Um, some of them also traveled across the country and 
had friends at different locations and they really had a self-support mechanism that was built into their friendship where, you know, I, I made the comment that, <clears throat> well, I, I got to go to New York and I got to figure out how I'm going to get treatment. And I think I got a plane ride there, but I don't have a place to stay. What would you do? And somebody suggested, well, I've got a friend in Queens that might be able to facilitate a night. And that worked out very well. And also it uh, allowed me to meet other people. Um, also, there's young adult groups, First Descents. Uh, I know that uh, that's a very active physical com uh, uh, cancer community that goes on ad adventures, really, and uh, really pushes you to the limit, which is great. And out of that, you make more friends. And uh, um, I really think about these different resources and how they can be used as ways to successfully help you overcome the disease. Um, you know, I do want to turn this into um, thinking about that first diagnosis and, and what it means to get referred to, to another place. And, and when you get into that mindset that, yeah, I'm going to have to travel, um, at first I thought it was going to be a burden. I really did. And sometimes it's very difficult to think about how ambulatory you are at the time of treatment and um, whether or not you'll be able to physically make the trip. And um, that can be overwhelming at times. Um, and I know that there's other patients who share this concern that I had uh, in traveling. And uh, one of the things that I did to overcome it was I would think about something else that I was going to do on the trip. Uh, a good for instance is when I went to New York uh, for my treatment, I would try and go to a museum or go to the park or go to the botanical or go to anything that could take my mind off of <clears throat> the reason why I was traveling there. I didn't want to think of it as a journey. I wanted to think of it as an adventure, something that I look forward to, something that I could take and make it my own experiences about uh, seeing something that I had never seen before, as opposed to being treated like I had never been treated before. So, you know, there's there's definitely a different in that mind, difference in that mindset. Um, and I really want you guys to be able to share what your guys' thoughts were, how you were able to kind of get on that travel bandwagon for a successful outcome as well. My favorite thing about traveling is meeting other patients. Um, and it happened very quickly that my surgeon would rely on me to talk to new patients. And um, I've gotten to know so many through the years that we would coordinate our appointments at the same time. So, um, you know, I would have friends from all over the country that we would gather in either Boston or Houston at the same time and arrange to go out for dinner or for drinks or meet up at the hotel and hang out or something. So we definitely turned it into a social time, not just a checkup or a treatment time. And that happened not with the first appointment, obviously, because it was all about, you know, the surgery was I a candidate, et cetera. So the, the first time was just getting my feet wet and understanding that 
you know, what was going to happen and, and move forward. But at that initial appointment, my doctor did introduce me to other patients. And that was before I knew about the community or at the Mesa Foundation. And that little, you know, patient group <clears throat> that I got to know my first treatment or my first go around became a lifeline. And um, Doug, a, a gentleman who had the surgery right around when I did, and I met at 6.30 in the morning when we were both getting our PET scans. So we met in the waiting room of the PET scan place and struck up a conversation and realized we were both there for mesothelioma. And we ended up having surgery at the same time. And he came to visit me in the ICU. And he said, if you didn't look good, I wasn't going to go through the surgery. He goes, but here you are. You look great. So now I got to do it. And so, and, and our friendship lasted up until he passed away seven years later. And we would call each other monthly and check on each other. And so that became, you know, something to look forward to instead of the, the PTSD and the stress of going back to Boston, like, oh, I had my surgery there and the cancer. And, and it became a social time and a time to reconnect with people who I'd met on the journey. So like Bill, I, I wasn't very adventurous about going out to museums or, or that sort of thing, but I really did try to turn my trips into a social setting because I would go alone. I had a, a young child at home and my husband had to stay home to take care of the baby. So he didn't come with me to my appointments. I did them all solo. Um, you know, and, and when you do that, you're, you know, challenged with ways to entertain yourself. And I'm not one to just stay in the hotel and sleep. So yeah, meeting the other people and, and having social time was really a, a godsend for me. So, but that might all change now with, with COVID. So, yeah. you know, it's, we're in a different era now. So yeah, I don't know how to handle all that. Yeah. But. Sheba. Um, what I would like to say is that I'm looking at this at a different perspective. I was the caregiver. So it was important for me to know my surroundings when I went to these centers of excellence. So it's important to find out where's the nearest drugstore, where's the nearest convenience store. Um, it was it, in New York. It was great because we were in a high rise on the first floor. There was a deli. There was a liquor store across the street was a brand new shopping mall. And because Bob was at the end of his treatments, he was exhausted. He could not go out. Uh, we might have gone, we were there for a whole month and we might have gone out maybe twice or, or three times. So it was important for me to have food delivered to where we were. It was important for me to get out and to get, because I'm a very social person, so it was important for me to get out and walk. Um, also, my favorite thing to do in New York has always been to go to a show. I got tickets for a show. Um, he was home resting that afternoon. It was a Sunday mm -hmm. afternoon. And I think it's just very important to know when you go to these uh, centers of excellence and where you're staying, your surroundings as to what you need a break. You need to get out and you need to get some fresh air, whatever. And I think it's important to know where, just where you can go and what you can do when you do book these, uh, book a room or a, a home or whatever. And yeah, that's a really good segue, actually. 
So tell me about how you learn about what's around you. What do you use? What kind of programs or things do you use? Well, first of all, the visitor's guide that I was talking about earlier, that's a good source of information because it does, it, it, there is a link on there as to what is around where you are. Um, it names shopping malls, it names um, museums, um, things to do, restaurants, convenience stores, drug stores, all those things. If you, if you go to the website, um, to the visitor's guide, that should be listed on there for you. It's been, I have researched um, two, four, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, um, 11 of these centers of excellence, and all of them have a visitor's guide uh, that you can go to and um, find out all that information. It also helps, like you said to, before, to talk to patients. Um, as you well know, we have quite a few patients in the New York, New Jersey area. I was yeah. able to speak with them and they could give me recommendations as to where to go, what to do, what to see, which is always a great, a great source as well. Yeah. And one of the things, you know, you were talking about, we have a lot of patients who are in New York, New Jersey, um, is I didn't realize how easy it is to travel up and down the Northeast corridor, especially by train. Yep. Um, and that's anywhere from DC all the way up to Boston. And uh, I know Heather and I have both been seen out in Boston. And uh, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed is that it was easy to get to New York. Uh, because, you know, I was treated at multiple sites and I wanted to make sure that all my doctors were on the same page. So I would often travel between New York and, and uh, Boston and, uh, and then also travel to D.C. when we would um, march on Capitol Hill. So I think it's important to understand the train lines and how they work, especially in the Northeast Corridor. Um, you know, Sheila, like, like you had said about uh, the cancer resources that are available and the visitor guides, make sure that you know your surroundings, that way you feel comfortable in your environment, that way you can have additional resources at your fingertips as well. Um, any other suggestions that you can think of? Google Maps. Google Maps was my savior. And especially in Houston, which is a vast, sprawling city, it's ginormous. and um, you know, it's not, I love New York because everything's just, you can walk the streets and everything's right there. In, in Houston, everything is driving distance. It's very hard to walk around and, and find, you know, everything you need within a few block radius. Um, so Google Maps and then the apps of different, um, you know, like my star, I love Starbucks. So I would use my Starbucks app to find out where a Starbucks was close by. Um, and the hotel that you stay at, the concierge at the hotel, they are invaluable for finding out what's around. And they can help you, like Sheila said, secure tickets, dinner reservations, tell you where the best place to go get the best breakfasts are at, um, the concierge at the hotel. If you're there for an extended period of time, um, is invaluable for for a step. So get to know those people, and the more you stay at those hotels, um, the the more they become like friends and and allies in your journey as well. So um, you just gotta really step out of your comfort zone. And for a lot of us, it's very hard because 
you know, you're there for a medical appointment, you're there for a horrible reason, you know, and it's like, what's or you just not, you don't feel good. So you need it easy and you don't want to think a lot. So having those resources, like Sheila said, the visitor guide, Google Maps, apps on your phone, Uber is making things so much easier now, Uber and Lyft, so much easier than taking a you know, trying to hire a cab everywhere. And almost every hotel has shuttles. Um, when I stay in Boston, the hotel I stay at has a shuttle that will take you within, I think it's like a five or six mile radius of the hotel. So, and you just, when you're at the restaurant, they'll drop you off and then you just call them 20 minutes before you need to be picked up and they'll come pick you up. So, um, you know, that's that's what has worked for me in the past. Yeah. So. You bring up yeah. a really good point with these apps that are on your phone. I know that um, I was hesitant at first to use things like Uber, and that's only because I was afraid of making a mistake, afraid of sending myself somewhere I didn't know. So one of the things that I, that I did was, uh, after I downloaded the app and tried to figure out how, how it worked, is I had myself picked up somewhat locally, so I knew where I was and where I was going to go and how this would whole, whole thing would work. And it was an invaluable experience and it prepared me to do this on the road. And I tell you, that type of service, especially in terms of transportation, is invaluable um, from getting to point from point A to point B. So yeah, these are all great suggestions. And another thing that I utilize when I go to Houston is a car service. Um, I fly into Bush International Airport, which is quite a ways from the medical center. Um, I don't fly into Hobby, which is a small airport that's closer. Um, I like a direct flight. I don't like to change flights. I, unlike you, Bill, I like to just get there and get in one fell swoop. So there are direct flights directly to Bush International. Um, so I use a car service instead of a cab. It ends up being cheaper. Um, I also know the drivers, and so I feel safe. And you yeah, get a Lincoln Town Car, or one time I had a beautiful, um, a big Lincoln SUV, um, and it was cheaper than a cab and a way nicer experience. And I felt safer than I did like in a city cab or whatever. So um, yeah, utilizing car services is another thing. And New York has a ton of car services. And you can find those out through the hotels as well. So um, that's another thing that people don't think about if they don't want to use Uber or a cab. Or free shuttles even. Mm -hmm. uh, I know I had the experience the, the first time I flew into Philadelphia to, to get to the Bolt bus. You know, I took a $40 cab, which almost kind of blew my budget on that, that particular trip. And uh, the next time I went out there, which was two weeks later for that treatment, um, by happenstance, somebody opened up the door and <laughs> yelled to everybody inside, anybody for the shuttle. And I looked around and no, nobody was taking it. I didn't understand why. So I went over to the person that said that and I said, what's the shuttle? Tell me about that. And where does it go? And uh, she says, well, you know, it goes to the main airport as well as this airport. And it also goes to one of the train stations. And I said, well, I'm trying to get to 30th Street, which was the main train station in Philly. And uh, she explained to me because she was local and she lived there and she knew the, the train service pretty well of how to get downtown. And it was a $6 trip. And that $6 was definitely less than the $40 that I spent the week prior. 
which meant that I could keep some money in my pocket and uh, it was better for me. So just having that opportunity to ask somebody questions can also be indispensable. Don't hesitate to walk up to somebody and ask them a question because they might be local and know something that you don't and they can give you key pieces of information that you otherwise wouldn't have. And uh, I think that's important too, is being open to new ideas and open to talking to people. Um, Another thing that didn't exist when I was treated, which is very popular now is Airbnb or um, Verbo, vacation rentals by what an owner. Um, yeah, VRBO, Verbo, yeah. So I know Sheila, didn't you utilize an Airbnb when you and Bob were in New York? Is that what you had? Yes, did. Uh, Bob was pretty specific. Um, he had a hard time sitting at that point um, in a chair. He needed a recliner. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. He searched um, <laughs> you know, and found um, a, an, an apartment that had a reclining sofa Excellent. to two different ends. So we were able to, um, to get that and spend the entire month there. It was very important yep. for him to have that comfortable so he could be yep. comfortable during that month so yep. yes that's yep. what we did. can't can't get that in a hotel no. so yeah that's that's the the airbnbs and the vrbos are so awesome and the hosts a lot of time can help you with what's around their um property so don't be afraid to ask the host what's around what what do you recommend and a lot of times they'll have in them at least ones i've stayed at um, had like a little paper with restaurants nearby and phone numbers for takeout or, or whatever. So, um, yeah, and, and I know a lot of them now with, with COVID are extremely cautious and are good at sanitizing and take really good care of their properties um, mm -hmm. because that's, that's how they make money and, and they want to make sure that people come back. And a lot of times they do like long-term people in them, especially around the medical centers. So if you know that you're going to be going to Houston and going to have surgery, a month in a hotel room is a long time for that little room. So yes. I definitely recommend either a corporate apartment if you can afford it or, or an Airbnb or a VRBO for that month that you're going to be there. So you have room. So the patient um, has a bedroom they can sleep in. And then you can be in the living room if you're the caregiver. Um, or you could even cook if you needed to. And I know that was important for friends of mine that traveled from Salt Lake is he liked to cook for his wife. And so it was important to, for them to find a place with a kitchen or a kitchenette so he could make sure that she had the food that she could eat and the meals that she liked. So yes. um, that's what's great about VRBO and, and Airbnb and, and even some of the, the boutique hotels or the long stay hotels have kitchenettes and stuff in them. So, you know, decide what, what your comfort level is, how long your stay is going to be. I was in Boston for a month, so I was very thankful that we had uh, the group house to stay in because we did have a kitchen with a refrigerator and a private room and a private bathroom. Um, so, you know, it's, it's very important to, to decide what is going to work best for you. I know as the patient, when you're getting out of the hospital and you're recovering, you need quiet and you need probably a recliner or, you know, a pillow with, or a bed with lots of pillows. Um, I know I had to sleep at an incline for quite a few weeks after my surgery. So laying flat in a bed didn't work. Um, 
but we had a recliner that I could kick back in that was much more comfortable for me, like Bob said. So yeah, these well, things are I, important. I, I, I also would just like to add that um, a lot of these centers of excellence, um, John Hopkins, University of Maryland, um, University of Chicago, they all have homes on campus where um, there's usually like 12 suites or, or 12 rooms. They also have very comfortable living arrangements for uh, someone who is undergoing <clears throat> treatment. So that's another thing that you could check into. Most all of the centers of excellence have shuttles that will get you from your hotel to your hospital, um, wherever you're going, your treatment center. So, you know, there's, there's that route as well, but um, VRBO is, is a good option. Yeah. Well. Yeah, I think you guys have given some excellent suggestions. And I think uh, it's very interesting that both of you have talked a little bit about comfort and the, there's options that make you feel comfortable when you're being treated as well. So they're out there and it's able to be done. So excellent. Are there any other suggestions that you might have for additional resources for patients? I can't think of it. I think we've covered, you know, so many of them, you know, and, and we're always available. Like Sheila said, call her, you guys call me or hit me up online. Um, you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find me anywhere, Heather VSJ. Um, and I'm happy to help um, navigate Boston, Houston, that's where I'm familiar with. Um, and just some decent, you know, just to help talk you through the process. And I know Bill is more than helpful with his his experience and um, his unique experience, which I just, every time I hear about what you did, Bill, I'm like, dude, I could never have done that. That's awesome. You know, couch surfing and <laughs> you know, jumping from, you know, one city to another and stuff like that. I was, I, I'm a diva. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was too tired to do that. So, but some people like that adventure and it's whatever works for you and whatever you're most comfortable with. And I think that's the most important thing. And it's a scary time. So you've got that anxiety of, of going to a new city you're not familiar with. So we're here to help and we're here to help take some of that, that fear and that anxiety away. And that's Megan with you know her information as well with the with the travel grants can help with that as well so that's where that the MISA foundation is such a great um resource for all of that for you so that's why we're here yeah just to go off of you know like heather was saying about the travel grant um it is a great resource we've had um you know we the MISA foundation really does try to help out patients um and caregivers who are going through this you know we know that is traveling, it's not easy. Um, you know, we know that it, you know, it is hard for people to do. So we do, um, the the application is very easy to fill out, um, you know, and I, it's my email. You can ask me any questions. Um, my email is mbutler at curemiso.org. It is also on our website as well. Um, and then you just fill out the application and keep all the receipts for travel. So we reimburse um, all the travel receipts that you have, you know, if it's parking, Uber and Lyft, hotels and um, flights. 
So all those things, um, we will reimburse up to $6,000 for a clinical trial and up to $1,000 for the initial consultation. So it is a great resource if you're looking um, for that. Uh, you know, you just reach out to me and I can send all of the resources to you um, via email. And if you don't you know, have that, you can also give me a call um, and I'd be more than happy to walk everybody through the process if they need that as well. Um, but we, like Heather said, the foundation is here for everyone and we want um, everybody to be able to have access to travel and all of that. Um, and, you know, we I've spoken, I am new at the foundation, but I have spoken to several patients who we have helped uh, recently. And, you know, it, everybody, obviously, it's it's a great program. And I've only gotten great feedback from people. And just, we're, like I said, we're here to help. And I just want to be able to do that for people. So. Very cool. Very cool. Sheila, anything that you'd like to offer? Well, I, I also want to touch a base with the social worker um, aspect as well. Um, that might be your first first resource to go to is the, is the social, social worker. Um, mm -hmm. Some of them are willing to help. Some of them aren't so much. Um, I've even had some contact with nurses uh, that were willing to help me get information. Of course, they knew that I was with the um, community advisory board with the Miso Foundation, so they were willing to speak with me about, um, especially at NIH, some of the clinical trials and what resources they had for patients coming in there. But I would just say, you know, reach out to a social worker first. If you don't feel comfortable there, move on. Because yeah. if, if you don't get a good vibe with them at the very beginning, move on to someone else. Like I said, I'm very interested in helping people when they're when they're doing these traveling. If you have any questions, please, I'm I'm here. That's excellent to know, as well as myself. If you guys have any questions whatsoever, whether it be about tra travel or the foundation, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to the foundation as well. Don't forget about the monthly patient Zoom. I can't say enough good things about that. We usually have about 25 to 30 patients on every month. And it's really good uh, information and sharing of ideas. I'd like to thank Heather, Sheila, and Megan for joining the call today. And as usual, please don't hesitate to reach out to the foundation. Thank you so much, guys. You have a great day, okay? Thank you. Thank you. You too, Bill. Thank you. Bye-bye.